Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Well, good morning, Super Bowl fans. How are we all doing? You all survive the night, get some sleep, eat too much. Let's, uh, so we are in 1 Kings 17 today. My name is Pastor Sean. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we'll jump into this. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for um, your word. We thank you for this morning. We thank you that um, the, in, the morning brings newness. The morning brings refreshment. And so as we look into your word today, Father, we pray that your word would refresh us. Pray that your word would challenge us. And Father, we just pray that um, you would bless this time now as we look into um, what you have to say to us today. And we just pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Well, thanks, everybody, for being on. Uh, we are in First Kings uh, 17, and it's actually quite a fun chapter. So, um, Nicole, if you are ready, I would love you to read for us. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, we Again, 1 Kings 17, I'm reading out of the NIV version. Starting with verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, who I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the, way, the, then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the, good, the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah. Verse 17. Oh. 
Some time later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He, uh, he grew, I'm sorry, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to, to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on, the, on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cries, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from, the, from your mouth is the truth. Amen. Thanks, Nicole. You're welcome. Um, okay, so a lot happening. Pretty powerful chapter. So a little bit of background first. Um, so if you, I don't know if anyone read chapter 16, but we see that um, we have Ahab, and Ahab is basically has turned to idol worship. You know, the Israelites of, or a large portion of Israel is not following God. And there's the worship of idols, specifically Baal, and just a lot of stuff going on. And um, this is a crucial time in the history of Israel because it looks at it looks as if the worship of the one true God might be completely eliminated in the Northern Kingdom. And Elijah is rising up for this time um, to be God's voice. So let's jump in. Um, Okay, so it starts out by saying, the Lord says to, let me just back up a little bit here. So verse one says, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So here we have, so this is very interesting because uh, the pagan god Baal was thought to be the sky god, the god of the weather. And so Elijah comes out and says, Hey, um, through my God, the one true God, there's not going to be any rain or dew for the next few years except by my word. So Elijah is showing that through his prayers, the God of Israel, Yahweh is mightier than Baal. So right away we have this statement, this line being drawn in the sand, like, you guys are worshiping this fake God, but don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen except by the word of my God. So the Lord says to him, go down to Kareth. Now, God does this a lot, right? Where God says, go somewhere, because the miracle is about to happen. The miracle is about to follow. And God does this a lot um, when he starts a miracle in motion. And if you want to remember back to um, Luke 17, verse 14, story of the 10 lepers, what does is, what is Jesus say to them? He says, go and show yourselves to the, to the priest. And as they go, as they went, they were cleansed. And so 
is something we can learn here that when God asks us to go, often it's the beginning of what he's about to do in us, right? So he's saying to Elijah, go to Kareth because I want to do something in you. So there is, it's an act of faith, right? When we step out in obedience. So the obedience is in the going and it requires faith. But we can always know that God's up to something, he's about to do something. So they escape to um, Kareth. Um, the text says, it says, go, let me just go back here. Uh, it says, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine. So there's something about this act of hiding, right? So remember how Moses would go and hide in the cleft of the rock, and he would experience God um, in the way that only he could, um, in the way that only man could, right? And in this verse, he's talking about hiding, and it's not so much hiding as in for protection, which it is, but it's also hiding in the presence of God because God is there. And so it's this time that is concentrated on being with God. So, so it was more than just protection. It was also to train Elijah in his dependence upon the Lord, right? So in a season of drought, he had to trust that God could keep the brook flowing. And we know that it stops, but the trust was God asked him to come to this place. And in our lives, as God asks us to do things which don't always seem to make sense, what is God going to do in that time, right? We have to be asking ourselves that question. Now, another interesting thing about Elijah's time at Kareth, God says, um, you will drink from the brook, and I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Now, ravens were considered unclean animals. God is saying, the unclean animals are going to bring you food, right? The unclean animals is the way that I'm going to choose for you to get the sustenance you need. So there's a lot of significance here. But let's look at this a little bit deeper. So the act of Elijah's hiding has a lot of significance. So here's a few reasons. So one, it's divine protection, right? So Elijah is a prophet of God. He's sent to the Kareth Ravine. And God commands ravens to bring Elijah bread and meat each morning and evening. And this is showing God's provision and protection for his faithful servant, even in difficult times, right? So God has divine protection when we choose to hide in him. Um, it's also showing us God's provision, right? So it shows us that God can use unconventional means to meet the needs of his followers, of us, right? And he is ultimately in control, even when things seem really bad, even in dire circumstances. God is ultimately in control. And the third thing we can, we can learn from this time for Elijah was, it was a time of preparation for him, right? Elijah wasn't just, wasn't just um, 
let me just switch this a little bit. Elijah wasn't just wading out the drought and famine. He was being prepared for his ministry. So this time allowed Elijah, let me just put my screen back on here. This time allowed Elijah to deepen his relationship with God, to grow in faith, and to prepare him for the task ahead, including confronting King Ahab and challenging the prophets of Baal, right? So that happens later on. Um, the fourth thing is Elijah's learning about obedience, right? So obedience um, to God's word to hide here, despite the dangers, demonstrates the importance of obedience in our lives, right? So even when a situation seems dangerous, obedient to God's commands leads to blessing and protection. Now, that doesn't mean we should be dumb and do stupid things, right? But we should listen to God even when it seems um, challenging. God is up to something. Okay. So now notice notice one thing, a couple of things here. So God doesn't say to Elijah, go directly to Zarephath. He says, go to Kareth. So it's one step at a time, right? So God says, go to this place, Kareth, until the brook dries up, and then God sends him on the next step. So one, God is a God of order, a God of steps, a God of... He's a systematic God, right? God's not going to send us to do something that we're not prepared to do. Assuming we choose to listen to him and he gives us the, the small steps, right? So the question is, what is God asking you to take a step of obedience in, knowing that God is sovereign and that obedience leads to blessing? So what is something in your life that God is asking you to take a small step of obedience in, knowing that God knows the full picture and we don't, all right? And so just think about that um, as an application point. What is something like Elijah that had to do different things that God is asking you to do? Now, if you listen to the sermon yesterday from Pastor Daniel, she used a word that I really loved, and I'm going to get to that word in a moment. But she referenced Matthew 19, um, 16 to 26. And I'll give you a quick summary of that. Um, so Jesus is telling the, par the parable of the rich man, and he asked Jesus, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus answered, you should follow the commandments. The man says, I've done all of this. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, sell your possessions, possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. The young man hears this and is a little confused. He goes away sad because he had great wealth. Um, verse 26, which is the verse we've been using for miracles in motion, says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so the point here was the young man or the rich man didn't understand that God is the God of everything, that God is sovereign in all things, God owns all things, and so the word that Pastor Daniel used that I really love is the word prodigal, which I think a lot of people 
uh, misunderstood as in someone who's returning, but what it really means is someone who behaves in a wasteful or extravagant manner, often leading to negative consequences. So there is a bit of, there could be negativity to it, but God is a prodigal God in the sense of not wasteful, but God is extravagant. God owns the cattle of a thousand hills, right? So when we describe God as a prodigious God, it emphasizes the idea that God is what? Is extraordinary, remarkable, beyond human comprehension in his greatness, his power, his abilities. And it suggests that God's attributes and actions um, are significant and surpass anything that is ordinary or typical, right? So describing God as prodigious highlights his omnipotence, his omniscience, uh, all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, omnipresent, um, as well as his ability to perform miraculous deeds and works that are beyond human understanding, right? So it should be inspiring us to all, knowing that God can do anything, that God has all the power and all the resources. So as we think about this word, and the reason I love this word and bring it up is, that God is telling Elijah that to remember that I'm a prodigious God. But God is saying, go do this. But as you do it, be reminded that I have everything. I have all the power. I have all the resources. So you can trust in me. So I really love that word. And just keep that word in the back of your mind as we go through this. Um, it's a word that is inspiring me. Um so as we consider the next step that God is challenging us, challenging us to do, we should remember that God is a prodigious God. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He's also the God who leads us one step at a time, right? To Kareth, to Zarephath. Okay. Everyone still with me? Still doing okay? All right. All right, so... Now we get into like part two of the story where God says, okay, now that you're going to Zarephath, um, there's a widow there that's going to provide for you. So this is a time of famine. We know that she's very poor and we know that by the fact that she's going to go gather sticks. Um, she makes a statement. I'm going to make a, I'm gathering wood so that I can use my last oil and my last flour to make um, some bread for me and my son, and then we're going to die because we don't have any more. So we know that she is in dire circumstances. So God isn't choosing her because of her resources. He's choosing her for her service. Now, she may not fully understand at this point what God is doing, but again, God is sovereign. God is all-knowing. And so the significance of the widow's statement, so she says, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Okay, now there's a lot of implications here. So first of all, she's recognizing and she's affirming that Elijah's God, Yahweh, lives. She is acknowledging existence and sovereignty of the God of Israel in a time 
when idol worship or Baal worship is very prevalent in this region. So she's acknowledging that Elijah's God is a true God. Um, it also suggests that she does have a measure of faith or trust in the God of Elijah. You know, despite her background and beliefs, she's recognizing that Elijah's relationship with God and the power that, that God's hold is significant. And this is beginning the set to set the stage for the miraculous provision that's going to follow. Okay. The third thing is she's submit, submitting to Elijah's authority. So by addressing Elijah's God directly, or our God, and acknowledging his existence, the widow is submitting to Elijah's authority as a prophet of God. So in doing so, she opens herself up to receive the blessings that comes through Elijah in the name of his God. So a little application here, submission to God opens us up to the blessing he has for us. I always talk about when we walk in the path of blessing, when we do the things that God asks us to do, we can receive that blessing that he has for us. Now, there's quite a significant thing to notice here. Um, you'll notice that she doesn't get all the resources she needs at one time. Right? She doesn't get a storehouse full of oil and flour. God provides for her day by day. So why? So one... It's testing of faith, right? So by providing daily, Elijah and the widow had to trust in God's ongoing provision rather than relying on a big stockpile. Now, that could have led to complacency or a lesser reliance on God, right? When you have everything you need, you don't tend to think about it. God was providing for me. My, um, my resources are coming from God. So it's a testing of faith. The second thing is um, it's teaching them dependence on God. So by providing daily, um, God is teaching Elijah and the widow to continually rely on him and to deepen their relationship with him as they rely on him for their daily um, supply. So rather than relying on their own resources or planning, God is saying, hey, rely on me. I am the source of everything you need. The third thing is we have to remember that this is a time of um, drought, a time of this famine, right? So providing flour and oil daily is one is preventing waste and misuse of resources. It is a time of drought and famine. So having a large store of flour and oil could have attracted attention or led to greed or hoarding, whereas providing just enough for each day ensured that they were using resources wisely and efficiently and also not drawing attention to them, right? Could have been very negative attention. Okay. All right, and then, of course, it was miraculous, right? So God is showing that he is a God of miracles, a God of um, presence, power, provision, right? So Elijah and the, and the widow are experiencing this firsthand every day. 
right? So God's supernatural intervention is reinforcing their faith and trust in him. Okay, everyone still good? All right, so what I want to call part three of the story. So sometime later, you know, the woman has a son, um, obviously has some kind of illness, and after some time, becomes ill, and he dies. And so sometime later, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse, worse and worse, and finally stopped breathing. Verse 18, she said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Now, the death of a son is a double blow to her, right? Not only is she suffering as a mother or you know, any parent who loses a child, it is a horrific thing. But she's also suffering loss as one who had hope for a son to provide for them in the future, right? So her son was her hope for the future as well. So she had a, she probably had an expectation that a son would grow and provide for her, you know, as she got older. And now that expectation is shattered. So let's come back to that line. She says, have you come to me to bring my son to remembrance and to kill my son? So she is indirectly blaming Elijah, but she is more directly blaming herself here and her unnamed son, which she specifically says, um, have you come to bring my son to remembrance? So whatever her sin was, the guilty memory of it was always close to her. Right? So there is something in the past that God is saying, hey, don't push that away. Don't hide that. And I think that's, that's a challenge to all of us. If there's sin in our lives that we are just hiding or pushing away, it's going to eat at us, right? It's going <laughs> to keep you from that freedom and that relationship that you can have with God with that thing that's holding you back. So um, story goes on. Elijah pleads with God. Um, God restores him to life. And so here's some key points from that part. So one, again, God has compassion and mercy, right? So despite, despite the widow's despair and loss, God responds to Elijah's prayer, right? So number two is power of prayer, right? So Elijah's prayer for the widow illustrates the power of prayer, and God shows us that he's willing to intervene with compassion and mercy in our times of need. So God is compassionate, merciful, prayer is powerful. And so does Elijah pray once? No, he prays twice, he prays three times. And so it's reminding us that we need to be persistent in our prayer, right? Especially when things seem hopeless. Um, the third thing is we should have faith in God's promises, right? So um, the widow's response to the resurrection of her son reflects a newfound faith in God. So she's finding faith through God's witness. So witnessing a miracle is restoring her, it's revitalizing her. And so as we, you know, for those of you who are 
part of our church family that are going through the Miracles in Motion campaign with us. God is doing miracles, right? I'm hearing about things all the time. And so as we witness those things, as we witness miracles in the word, it should deepen our faith and our trust in God's faithfulness to his promises because God is faithful. Um, it's also a confirmation of Elijah's authority, right? So by demonstrating the power to bring about such a miraculous event, Elijah validates his role as a messenger of God and strengthens the faith of those who witnessed the miracle. So again, this is a reminder. It teaches us to recognize and respect God's chosen messengers, right? Those that God has given um, the calling to preach and teach and you know, to prophesy, um, we should respect those people and listen to their words, just like Elijah was one of those people. And then the last thing is, um, God is showing that there's always hope in desperate circumstances, right? So in the midst of despair, in the midst of her darkest moment, God has the power, in the midst of our darkest moments, God has the power to bring new life and restoration, right? So there's always hope, and we have to trust in God's ability and desire um, to work in miracles, even when situations seem um, really bad or dire. Okay, so I have a few uh, questions for us. So just in summary, so we have the people of Israel who are not listening to God's ways. They're worshiping idols. God sends Elijah. Um, Elijah's life is obviously in danger because he's coming against um, Ahab. He's coming against idol worship. God says, go. Um, to Kareth, wait there, I'll provide for you. God says, okay, the brook has dried up, go to Zarephath. Okay, I'm going to provide a, a lady, a widow for you, who's going to make food for you, but I'm also going to provide for her. And then just in case you were um, not sure who I am, a son's going to die, I'm going to bring him to life. And so... As we consider all of these things, we'll ask you a couple of questions. So the first thing is, the first question is, where is your careth? Right? Where is God asking you to come to hide in his presence? You know, not to, because he wants to prepare you for some next step. Or he wants you to discover something about your purpose. But sometimes God calls us to hide in his presence, just to trust in him, to be with him, and know that everything he's going to do at that time is just enough, and he's going to provide exactly what you need for your next step. So where is your care? The second question is, where is your Zarephath, right? So Kareth is the place you go hide in his presence. Zarephath. It's the place where God asks you to take the next step, to trust him. So is God, who is a prodigious God, right? God owns everything, has all the power, all the resources. Is he asking you to trust him with your flour and your oil, all right? Is he asking you to go, hey, I gave you the flour and the oil, I have lots more. Will you trust me with your flour and oil? Will you do what I'm asking you to do? 
So what is God asking you to do um, today? So where is your Zarephath? And what is he asking you to do with your flour and your oil? Um, is he asking you, like Elijah, to trust in his supply, right? Is it the flip side? So is God asking you to do something with your flour or oil? Or is he asking you just to trust in his supply? Okay, then my last question is, think about the widow, right? Is there some sin that you're trying to forget? That God has something greater in store for you when you release that to him, knowing that there might be consequences. There always is, right? When we do bad things, we do dumb things, right? We pay stupid tax. But God is doing something new, right? He is a prodigious God. Remember, testing brings refinement and retooling and equipping for the purposes and plans he has for us. So that's all I have for us today. I hope that um, the word of God is challenging, challenging you as it has challenged me, right? There's a lot more we can say about this, but our time is up. So to remember, remember those three questions. And if I run into you this week, I would love to hear some comments from you about your Kareth, your Zarephath, um, and anything else we've spoken about today. So let me pray, and I'll get you off to your day. So, Father, we thank you that you are a jealous God, Father, that you do not tolerate other gods, idols, or things that take us away from you. So, Father, we pray that um, we would recognize you for who you are, that we would give you the honor and worship and praise that you deserve. But Father, we also recognize that there's times that we need to go to Kareth or Zarephath, or there's times where we need to trust you with our flour and our oil. Father, because you can do so much more with our resources than we can. And as the widow gave her little bit, Father, you multiplied that into so much more. Father, we pray that you would use all of us um, as catalyst as ones who would speak life and hope to those around us. We pray that you would use us to build your kingdom. And Father, as you test us, as you call us to um, action, as you call us to a next step, Father, would you keep reminding us that you are a God of um, hope, that you are a God of who uh, is beyond anything we can ever imagine, Father, that you have the the resources of a thousand hills and the cattle of a thousand hills. Father, we know that you show up when even in dire situations, so we trust in you. We put our hope and our faith in you. So, Father, would you um, inspire each one today? Would you provide for our needs? Would you challenge us to our next steps? Father, thank you for those times when you call us um, to challenging situations because you are doing something new in us. So, Father, I pray a blessing on each one this morning. Um, would you bless this word? Would you cause it to rise up and multiply in us? And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day today. See you all soon.